We're, this is our first week in Exodus chapter 12. Plagues. This is the 10th plague, the Passover. We're going to be looking at the big picture of the Passover today. And um, we'll be looking at some of the really neat details next week. But today's big picture, next week will be the details. And that's how this uh, study on the Passover will go. So let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you that you are our Passover lamb. You are all that we need. And you are our redeemer. And God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to be able to hear and understand and process what we're going to read today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So this is the 10th plague. And what's going to happen is the Lord's going to ask the people to kill a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and spread it on their doorposts. And then they're going to eat the lamb. And by the end of this night they will be on their way out of Egypt, okay? So this plague is that God sends an angel to kill all the firstborn children and of everything, of, of people, of, of animals. Every firstborn is going to be killed by this angel, okay? And this plague was on all the people, every single person, the Egyptians and the Israelites, they're all under this because the Israelites and the Egyptians are both sinners. And this angel of death represents the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death, all right? So when this angel, this death angel, starts flying around Egypt, it's justice being doled out on all of the people. But God, he's going to make a difference and he's going to not kill the Israelites even though they deserve to be killed just as much as the Egyptians. How can God do that? How can God make a difference? How can he be just and merciful at the same time? Okay, so we can kind of process that God should be just. God should kill every single human being that's ever lived because we're all sinners. Okay? But how can God be just and only kill some and not kill all of the people? How can he be just and merciful? How can God allow some to be spared and still be just? I mean, if God just let everybody off the hook, then God wouldn't be just at all. He'd be merciful, but he wouldn't be just at all, and so he would cease to be a perfect God. How can he just let some people off the hook and still be a just God that makes everything right, that does everything right? Well, in Exodus chapter 12, we are going to see a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus, and probably the most clear picture of the gospel that we've had all the way through the Bible so far. This chapter uh, is the best, the most clear picture of what Jesus does for us, even though it's written long time before Jesus ever came. So how we are delivered from the angel of death by faith alone in Jesus Christ, that is what we're going to be learning about today. The wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. And who has sinned? Everybody. Egyptians? Yes. Israelites? Muslims? Americans? Christians? White? Black? Other, 
<laughs> all the other ones, I just, I don't know how many different races I could name off the top of my head, but all of them, we're all sinners, all right? And sin must be punished. That's just the, the bottom line. God cannot and will not ever spare anyone because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and he, he can't give up his glory. He can't change from being a glorious God, so he must punish every sin equally, and, and, and it has to happen. God can't spare anyone. He can't spare angels. It says that in the Bible, that he didn't spare angels, but he kicks them out of heaven, right? He doesn't spare men. He doesn't even spare his own son. And we're going to look at a couple of verses that show us that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Even though Jesus never sinned, he never did anything wrong, he was the one guy that didn't deserve to be killed by the destroying angel. He's the one guy, but God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us as a substitute. And then in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Wow. So this substitution that Jesus is for us, he became your sin, everything bad that you've ever done, God made Jesus that. All the most evil thoughts of your heart and mind. Everything, God put it in Jesus so that he could kill Jesus, so that he could spare you. If you have faith and if you believe. And he said, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God longs to give you everything that you need. And it all starts and it all is bound up in you believing one thing, that Jesus was your substitute. If you have that, if you believe that, everything God wants to give you is coming down the road right to you. It's coming. You just, that's all that you need to know is, and believe is that Jesus was your substitute. Do you believe it? All right. Well, the punishment of sin is always death. He says, the soul that sins shall die in the Bible. The Lord will by no means pardon the guilty, God says. So justice needs to be satisfied or God ceases to be a just God. And that's not going to happen. So what's the solution for us? How can God not punish us? How can God get us off the hook? Jesus. God's grace provides the solution by um, this word substitution. We've said it a couple times. That is the solution is substitution. The solution is substitution. God provides a lamb for all these people, okay? He says, go take a lamb. And, and uh, this lamb is going to take the place of the people who are being redeemed. This lamb is going to die, so they don't have to die themselves. He is a substitute. He's a perfect, holy, and pure substitute. And Jesus, I'm going to tell you the, the big kicker at the beginning so that you have it in your mind all the way through. Jesus is our 
Passover lamb. This is all a picture for you and me of what's real for us. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for indeed our Passover was sacrificed for us. That makes Exodus chapter 12, we're about to read, one of the most important and impactful chapters in the whole word of God. It's a chapter that we need to behold. What does the word behold mean? It means to, to look at, but, but not just to glance at it, to, to stare at it, to observe it, to study it, to consider it, to let it soak into our weary souls. We need this chapter so much in our walk. When John the Baptist was on the scene, he said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was saying, study him. Think about what Jesus has done for you. That's what we're going to talk about, not only this Sunday, but hopefully every Sunday that we're ever gathered here, I'm going to tell you, look at what Jesus did for you. If we ever transition to becoming a church that says, look what you guys can do for Jesus, please go to a different church. Find a church that will teach you and encourage you about what Jesus has already done for you because that will produce in you loving response, fruit will happen when we know what Jesus has done for us, when we believe what Jesus has done for us. So, got it? Behold the Lamb of God. That's what we're going to do. So right now we're going to start reading. In Exodus chapter 12, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth month, every tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. So I guess they had like quarter pounder lambs and half pounder lambs and Maybe, a, you know, they, they had a certain number that a lamb could feed, and that was, that's what he's talking about there. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. We're going to talk about that more next week. And you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall take, uh, keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. A natural person, an unbeliever, doesn't understand that. Why does it matter? Okay, you kill a lamb, and then you take his blood and you put it on this side of the door, and on this side of the door, and on the bottom down there. Why does that, is that going to save you from the destroying angel? If there really is even a destroying angel. How can that possibly matter? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And I don't know every single one of you and exactly where you are spiritually, but maybe you have no clue what I'm talking about right now, and you're like, how could it possibly matter? Well, 
because it's spiritually discerned. It is faith that God requires. He doesn't require reason, and he doesn't require intelligence. He is always looking for faith. Now, does that mean we throw away reason and we throw away intelligence? No, those are fine, but those are never required to know God and to follow him and to be everything that you need to be. You don't have to know reason. Reason is a great thing for us to use to help encourage unbelievers why they should trust in the Lord. It is very reasonable to trust in the Lord. Logic and, and intelligence, we can, it can help people understand their, their situation, the, the state of man, that they need a Savior. Those are all great things. But none of them are required to know God. God requires faith. Hebrews 11, 28. The, Hebrews 11 talks about what? Faith. And in that chapter, it mentions this event, and it says, Through faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, lest, that des- uh, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. We need to take a minute to think about what it meant to live by faith on this night. And I think it will help us then to realize how you and I are going to live by faith in our day. Okay, so let's transport ourselves. Let's put on our, our sandals and, and we're back in that day. We're living there. We've experienced these nine plagues. But first of all, there was a promise made of deliverance, a promise of, uh, of that God was going to save these people. And that promise um, was kind of crazy because these people have been slaves for 400 years. And so as this promise is made, um, the, the people are just like, what? And, but they believed it, but it was rough, okay? And then you have n- weeks of plagues go by, and we've seen the nine plagues go by, and Pharaoh is no closer to letting the people go. He's just, he's just as stubborn as ever, right? We saw that his heart was still hard. Heart was still hard, I should say. I said that wrong. And the people themselves are just as evil as they were at the beginning, So why would this plague be any different than all the others? Why could this one of the Passover accomplish what all the others could not, that they could go free? Why was the spreading of blood more more miraculous than all the other plagues? How is it different? Because of faith. But everything stands against faith, my friends. Everything. Everything you can understand goes against faith. Everything that you see goes against faith. That's why he says we walk by faith and not by sight, right? Only one thing in this world is pushing you towards faith. And you know what that is? The word of God. The word of God. Only the promises of God contained in the word of God can supply you with a reason to trust in God by faith. It's the only thing. And when the Word of God inhabits me, we call that the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God coming out of my mouth can encourage you also to put your trust in the Lord. Only faith could keep this feast that we're talking about with all its specific demands that we're going to read about. Only if you truly believe God's Word is this going to make a difference for you. Let's read a little bit more. He says, 
Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. And they shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. As we read that, Satan is drawing your eyes towards the difficulties and the problems and the challenges. He's saying, where am I going to get bitter herbs? What even is a bitter herb? (laughs) What? What, what, what do you mean i got to eat the whole thing? Man, Satan draws our eyes to that. But the Holy Spirit, he's always showing you the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the word of God that's saying, do you believe me? Do you believe me? Then walk this way. Follow my leading. This is the direction we're going. That's the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart. So keep reading. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses which you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." So I want us to take a moment and and we're going to imagine two different homes on this night, two different Israeli homes, okay? The first one has an unbelieving father, okay? And and he's got kids and his oldest kid, who's my oldest kid in here? Simon. Ha, you're my oldest kid. We'll pretend this is you and me, okay? So I'm an unbelieving father and he's my oldest kid. And the oldest kid, he's kind of worried. He says, hey, dad... Um, Moses said that an angel's going to come kill all the firstborn. That's me. So uh, what are we going to do about that, Dad? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the dad, who's an unbeliever, unbelieving, he says, don't worry, boy. Don't worry at all. And then I lie to him and I say, oh, I did all that blood stuff. I did the lamb. And that night, Zyman, poor Zyman, he dies. But he wasn't afraid. He wasn't scared because he thought he had nothing to worry about. His feelings lied to him because his, his dad lied to him. So his feelings weren't giving him any of the right uh, signals that he maybe should have had before. He was happy because of words. Words made him happy. All right, now we're going to enact, we're going to change it and flip it around. Now you have a believing dad, okay, Simon? Is that better? Okay. Now you have a believing dad. And, and, and again, you hear the message from Moses and it says, we're going to kill, the, the firstborn is going to die. And you're, you're worried about it again. But this time, your father shows you the blood. He shows you the lamb that was killed, and he watch him go and sprinkle. But man, maybe that son is still scared just because, I mean, an angel of death is flying around above your head. And he's just worried, and he just is thinking, man, I, he, he lives a whole night, maybe even in fear, 
because his feelings are lying to him again. There's no reason for him to be afraid. Why? Because the blood was there. The lamb had been slain for him. And so this time, Simon survives the whole night, but he lives his whole night in fear because he doesn't believe the words that his dad spoke to him, even though he was safe. Again, his feelings lied to him. He was worried because of words of people, not the word of God. If he would have listened to the word of God, he would have known the blood was going to protect him and he would have been at peace. Okay? So on both sides, some people in our world are living in total peace that they have no care and concern about hell because they're just living their life however they want to. And because someone has told them, that's fine, and when you die, God will just be some like Santa Claus, and, and if you did more good things than bad things, you get to go to heaven. At least you're not Hitler, right? That's how we compare ourselves. At least we're not Hitler. And somehow that's the standard that God has. If you're better than Hitler, you get to come to heaven. Well, that's not God's standard. God's standard is perfection and holiness, which all of us fall short of, and so we can't go to heaven in that way. But when we hear the word of God and we put our hope in the Lamb of God, our sins are washed away, we are made pure in God's sight, and we can live with peace. But if we doubt it, you could be saved, be going to heaven, and live your whole life in fear and down in the dumps because, man, is, is it really? I mean, it's just so scary. Life is so scary. And is God really going to come through? Is God really going to? I mean, I believe it. I know it's true, but but I'm just worried about it. But we don't have to be. Our feelings can lie to us. And so we can never be led by our feelings. What are we led by? The word of God. That's the only thing we can allow to be our guide. The word of God. All right, so the blood here, the blood overrides the feelings in every situation. Only your personal application of the blood of the Lamb can do anything for you. When that second son doubted his dad and he didn't personally apply it for himself, there was a a disconnect in his life. The blood wasn't as effective as it could have been. Only the blood can purify us. This Passover Lamb is an eternal picture for us that that clearly shows us the work that Jesus does. And it's, we're told that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. That says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So in other words, being a member of a church, uh, good works, uh, building character, becoming a better person, self-sacrifice, religious devotion, they don't save anybody. Never. Only faith in the blood of Jesus can do the work that needs to be accomplished. Romans 3.25 says that God set Jesus forth as a propitiation for by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. It's a lot of big words there, but suffice it to say, faith is how we apply the blood that was given to us as our substitute. When Jesus died on the cross, you were given a choice. 
Before Jesus died on the cross, you had no choice. You were going to hell. But when Jesus died on the cross, he offered you a choice. And he says, you can take my blood and apply it to your life and you will be set free. You will be redeemed. And that is called faith, that applying of the blood. Why would the destroying angel pass over those houses that had the blood on them? Because death had already done its work. The price was already paid. The innocent was already killed on behalf of the guilty. It doesn't mean there wasn't guilty people living in that house. It means that there has already been a price paid. The death of that lamb covered, and so the death angel passed over. And he says here something very interesting in our text. He said, when I see the blood, God says, when I see the blood on your house, God's eyes are not on the people in the house. It's not on what kind of house it is. God's eyes is on the blood. He makes no distinction on how good or bad the people in that house were. Only whether they applied the blood in faith. That's it. Now, logic and reason say, how can the blood of the lamb make that big of a difference for me? And logic and reason would cause us to doubt the power of the blood when we don't apply the blood because we, we feel foolish because we're putting our hope in something silly like blood. It's just crazy to us. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. The blood is the power of God. You'll see it someday, and I hope it's before the day of judgment. Everyone's going to know it on the day when they die. But if it's at that day of judgment that you finally believe, it'll be too late. We rejected the substitute. We rejected faith. We chose logic and reason, and now we're dead. Oh, it's just too much work for me to kill the lamb, get some bitter herbs, whatever those are. And it's like, it's just, why would I do that? Why would I invest in a relationship with Jesus when I can just live my own life? Maybe the death angel is going to lose its way and he's not going to come anyway. Not listening to God's word, right? When we believe in the blood of Jesus with all our heart today, we are dwelling in the house that we're supposed to be. We're in a house that is covered with blood and we're dwelling in it. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. His blood does this work for us. His offering as a lamb makes you perfect when nothing else would. How wonderful is Jesus? That's where you guys say something cool. How wonderful is Jesus? He is just awesome. He is beyond description loving, that he would be the substitute for us. So let's keep reading back in our text in Exodus. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, 
And on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. That's like a gathering. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread on that same day, this same day. I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or native of the land. We're going to talk more about that next week. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and for your sons forever. It will come to pass that you will come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered their households. So the people, watch this verse, so the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So here we have, after he describes everything they need to do, the response of faith or belief. They accept grace. They receive it. They bow their heads in worship in response for this unearned favor. They just do it. And that's what faith looks like. They showed at the beginning that they believe, they showed, excuse me, that they believe God's word by obeying God's commands. Jesus says, I'll save you you need to abide in me and in my word. You need to devour my word. You need to eat my word. Just like they're required to eat this Passover, right? What are they doing? They're eating in obedience to God's word. They're eating God's word. God said, eat this Passover. Eat it. That means take it into you. Take it inside you. Ingest it and let it become a part of you. That's what it means. Now, again, we're looking at the big picture. So there's a lot of details in there we're skipping over for right now. We're just going to look at one more thing today. John 6.53. And we're going to be in John chapter 6 for a little while here. So just if you want to turn there and see these, you're going to love it. John 6.53, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Well, that's a weird verse. You know, Jesus says we have to eat him like a cannibal. What is he? What could he possibly mean by that? What is he possibly referencing by that? Well, think now about the Passover. They were supposed to eat the Passover, and if they ate the Passover, it showed faith. It showed faith. So Jesus is making a link between devouring him, eating him, and faith. Look at verse 63 now. I just, we just read 53. Look at 63. Um, excuse me, not 63. Uh, 56 first, okay? He says, if you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Then he says in, in 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's the command we have, to abide in Jesus, right? That's what living by faith is supposed to look like. And then look in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So we have this easy progression to see that eating his flesh and eating his blood gives us life. And that's the same thing as abiding in him. And it's the Spirit who gives life. And when you hear the words of Jesus and believe them, you are partaking of that life. That is how you eat the Passover for you, your Passover. Who is who? Jesus. He's your Passover. And we need to eat that Passover. We need to consume his life, his words. Believe them when he says them. And always, when you're reading this part, I want you to have arrows in your Bible pointing back to verse 35. When you're on 63, when you're on 56 and 53, and you come across someone who doesn't understand this, just point them back to verse 35. If you want to know how to eat the body and how to eat the blood, look at verse 35 where it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. So eating this bread is, has two parts, coming to Jesus and believing his words. Coming to him and believing is how you take the bread or take the Passover and put it in your mouth and chew it up and ingest it. Coming to him and believing. Our text at the end says, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne and the to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the, in, in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in the cry of Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. It's so sad that they could have just believed the word of God. But God's people, they did believe, and they were saved, not by their own works, but by faith in the word of God. Who is the word of God? Jesus. He was the word of God. He became flesh for us. These things all fit together so beautifully. So would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Okay. We have communion here that we're going to do uh, with uh, one more song. I'm just going to play by myself, guys.
So we're going to spend a moment here uh, seeking the Lord and, and processing what this all means for us. Jesus, we, uh, we don't deserve for you to be our Passover lamb. We've never deserved that. But Lord, your spirit is urging us and, and nudging us and calling us to believe fully today that you are all that we need, Lord. And I pray, we're, I pray that we would all believe here. I pray that we would choose faith. I pray that we would choose to believe the word of God. And not to put our hope and trust in ourselves. I thank you for everyone in here, from the youngest, all the kids and babies downstairs, and the people downstairs serving and loving on them. Lord, to, to even the oldest up here today. Lord, that we would never think that we have matured past having to fall in awe and in honor before your word. God, you have provided everything that we need if we would just believe you. So God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the, the beautiful work you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, we want to surrender more. We want to give of our time and our energy, our resources. We, Lord, we want to provide for the food bank. And um, Lord, we want to serve you out in the wilderness. And we need you to do the work in our hearts to make it a joyful service. If there's anyone in here today who has never believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, that him being their substitute is, a, is truly something you've never heard before, then today is the day for you to call upon the Lord and to say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, that I deserved death and punishment for my sins, but you have lovingly taken that for me. If today is that day for you, I just pray, uh, Lord, that God, that you would be working in those hearts. And I encourage you to take a stand of faith for Jesus today. And, I, and for all of us who have grown maybe weary in our walk with the Lord, and it's getting tiresome, and it's getting burdened to come to church and to hear the word of God, I pray that we would remember that this is just like eating for our souls. This is nourishment for our heart. I pray that we would confess our own hardness of heart, that the word has become stale to us. The word has become of no value because we're not really believing it. And I pray that we would have great repentance in our heart today. Jesus, I thank you that you use me in my weakness, Lord, that you don't expect me to be perfect. I thank you for each one in here, Lord. And we pray and we ask that you would do a great work in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.